Today I'm talking with Evan Sutter. He's an author, speaker, and social entrepreneur. He's written Solitude, How Doing Nothing Can Change the World, and Scribbles on the Wall, Lessons Along the Way. In our conversation, he shares about how he went from chasing girls to becoming an author about seeking solitude and embracing boredom. (laughs) What I really find profound about his advice is how counterintuitive it is. He's for boredom and solitude, saying these are things we actually need as humans. His story is a great example where his brother convinced him to spend time at a Buddhist monastery and it led to a complete makeover of his life. So without further ado, let's go into the conversation. And Evan, would you like to tell the audience anything about who you are as we get started? No, I'm happy to dive right into it. But yeah, just um, an Australian who's recently made the move over here to San Francisco. I'm enjoying the city. It's um very, very different in Sydney, but there's um, a lot of really cool, beautiful things about it too. So I'm um, enjoying meeting great, inspired people like you, Nathan. So thank you for what's happened. Thank you for having the chat. Great. So you have had a pretty interesting life, I'd say. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what has been a big transformation you've gone through? I know uh, you talk a lot about this experience you had in Plum Village, and I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about, um, you know, why you went there. I know it had to do with your brother and at first and then some other things later and what you took away from it. When you talk about big experiences that sort of shaped your life, I think that's definitely, um, you know, the biggest one that sort of led my life down a totally different path. um, um, As you said, you mentioned my brother. My brother was a monk who was living in Tikhan Hans Monastery in Palm Village and over a, a period of time you know we, we stayed in contact and emails back and forth and um he was really trying to encourage me to come and spend some time there I think he saw me um spending a lot of time in in sort of an unhealthy existence you know I was very much in sort of what you'd say the pleasure trap you know chasing after my happiness and sex drugs alcohol and you know I sort of just over you know not too dissimilar to most 20-somethings but I sort of you know over embellished you know and I think that was you know, how I spent majority of my time. When you look back, you know, you sort of think, wow, like, you know, wasted so much time in doing that. But it's, I think it takes an, an experience like, you know, stepping away from it to really see, um, you know, why you were doing those things. So, yeah, my brother um, basically started with some emails saying, when in your life have you ever really stopped? When in you have you given yourself the chance to, you know, you find out why you do the things you do, um, what's important in your life? Um, Remember he said, you know, will a new job, will a new girlfriend, will a, you know, more money, will that make you happier? Maybe you need to learn the skills and tools to actually, you know, transform your life. And he, you know, he encouraged me to come over and I made the bold step after. Um, he also said, uh, do you want to meet a mature, kind, authentic woman and learn the tools to love one genuinely? And <laughs> you know, um, he knew that at that stage, you know, my life was very much revolving around girls and, um, um, he knew that if he mentioned girls, I might actually go and visit him, and I ended. And I did. That was the um, that was just the, the the final straw, and um, yeah, made it over to Plum Village, which you know, vastly different to the life I just I just left behind. Like you know, you know, nightclubs and bars and girls and sex and lots of drugs, and to this place that was polar opposites. You know, super quiet people, 
you know, from all different walks of life, people, I guess, exploring their own issues and trying to find, you know, what really makes sense to them. And, you know, my and just spending time with my brother was a monk and, you know, who himself had made a huge change in his life and he made the big decision to step into monkhood, which is, you know, very strange, especially being Australian. It's not, not very common at all. And, you know, I still remember people at home, you know, baffled by, you know, when you hear that your brother's a monk. And um, so coming to this place, it was extremely uncomfortable, new people, and none of those usual distractions that I could usually just fall back on, you know, as covers. You know, I think that's that's a big, big thing. You know, I, I found out pretty quickly that, you know, we never get bored and lonely these days in this fast-paced modern world. It's so easily, so easy to cover it up. You know, you're, you're bored, you go out drinking, you're lonely, you jump on any one of these plethora of, of apps to go and meet someone and you never really experience what it's like to be bored and lonely. And um, coming to Palm Village, I really had no choice. I you know, had to be bored and lonely for the first time in my life and that's quite strange, right, to speak, to think that at 28 years old that you are um, – you're you're experiencing these things that we should experience every day, like you know, spending time with yourself, getting to know yourself, connecting to what it is we actually want in this life, and finding out why you do the things you do in the first place. Which is, you know, <clears throat> it's what the Greek philosopher said is the most important thing. You know, many many years ago, know thyself, but I know it's easy in this um, fast-paced modern world to, you know, put that on the back burner and let everything else jump in front of it. I guess. Hmm. So when you got there, was it easy to stop or did that, did your old self kick, kick at you and, you know, kind of make it hard? Uh, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, it's, that's the thing. I was just really bored. I was really lonely. I was really uncomfortable. I was with people who were totally different to people I normally spend my time with. I had no, you know, friends, no distractions, no phone, no TV. I had, you know, I'd had no wallet. I couldn't just go and quickly run up, run after something else, you know, and that's, I think that's the big thing. Thich Nhat Hanh says the trick is not to run away from your suffering. And I see that all I ever did in, in my life prior to that was, you know, um, use sex, drugs, alcohol, technology, even relationships, girlfriends, all these kinds of kinds of things just to, to run away faster. And um, ah, it was, you know, the, even just sitting for meditation, I never meditated before in my life, you know, outside of a few experiences of my brother when he would come home. And that was like I felt that I was a crazy man, you know, like all this built up, you know, things from all angles pushed and pulled and um, it took a long time to sort of settle down into just, you know, not having to always do something. And I think, you know, we've got this, you know, chronic addiction of always having to be doing something, you know, doesn't matter what it is just as long as it takes up our time and energy we need to do 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 right so um and that's that's dangerous and it's unhealthy because you know most of the time we don't even know why we started doing that in the first place and that that's for me was the huge huge struggle initially hmm. so why like you're saying Thich Nhat Hanh said embrace your suffering but all you've done is run away when you got there why what made you change like it seems like you could have just been like okay maybe this isn't for me <laughs> um well, in many ways, I had no choice. You know, I, I couldn't run away. I couldn't jump on my phone. I couldn't go down to the pub. I couldn't have a beer. And, you know, I... Um, but you could have left, right? You could have just... Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I could have left. But at the same time, I, um, you know, I was getting to spend some time with my brother who I hadn't seen for two years. So 
Wow. Like that was um, something that was keeping me there. Um, and even now, like I probably would have been, um, you know, not the best company initially when I was there for my brother. He was obviously, you know, very patient and had a lot of the skills and tools to, you know, to to be a good companion and to help me get through this um, difficult period. And um, that's what kept me there initially right for those first four or six weeks when I was really uncomfortable and could have easily just left. And, but also part of me realised that um, I'd done all these things in life, right? I don't know sometimes you get to a, a point where you're like, you know, I've slept with all these girls and you know, drank, I've gone to big parties, I've travelled all over the world, I've, I've, you know, made money, I've done all this and, I still felt unsatisfied somewhat and unfulfilled. And part of me, you know, I think we all want that, but we all want to have some sort of fulfillment and meaning and purpose and really good relationships. And, and you know, I think we all know somewhere down there if, if, if we're not doing something that's true to what we want. And part of me knew that and I wanted to, I wanted to live a better life, you know, so. Which, which part of you was that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. I think that, you know, I don't know, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think, um, you know, do you think that, yeah, part of all of us know that if we're doing something that's not particularly right and we, it's, you know, it's all fine. Like, I think that's why people stay in relationships and aren't always perfect because, you know, and they might know that they're, they're not perfect, but they do it for, for some reason. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think we all know somewhere deep down that things aren't working right, but it's, it's it's always more difficult to to make a change. It's always more more challenging to to do something different and go against the grain. And um, part of me wanted to do that, but I think it was just I needed something like this, like a huge event and a big experience, to sort of force me into doing that. Otherwise, I probably never would have made. Yeah, so it's like some deep part of you, I guess, is what you're saying. And mm-hmm. so, how long were you there for? And and uh, you started to mention, yeah, how long were you there for? Three months. Okay. Mm. And did you plan to stay for three months or how did you decide that length of time? Um, I didn't plan on three months, actually. I just planned on going there and seeing how it went. But um, three months was the, the visa I had in to, to be able to stay in that region. So um, that was the maximum period. And um, I think it was the perfect period. I uh, felt like I really got the chance to really delve deep into what it was I wanted. I really got to, you know, really just slow down and stop and, you know, do nothing and embrace nothing and actually enjoy it and um, meet all these wonderful people. And I think, yeah, I don't know, like enough time to really sort of shift a few habits, but I had deeply ingrained in myself. And, um, yeah, hmm. cool experience. And what did you, so how did that change your life since? It was a big shift. You know, when I came home, I, um, came back to Australia and a lot of my, a lot of my friends are still stuck in that same circle that I was in. And, um, you know, I sort of saw this kind of chronic unhappiness spreading like a wildfire all around me. I saw people sort of unsatisfied, unfulfilled. And I wanted to, if I could, you know, similar to what my brother did for me, plant some seeds here, people look at things a little bit differently. So that was my intention in writing a book about my experiences because I wanted to write it from a, a person who, in a, in a real and raw way, from someone who, you know, you're not written from someone, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to, you know, resonate with a book from Eckhart Tolle or Thich Nhat Hanh because it's just so different to their life. So I thought it was written by a young person who, you know, not too long ago was doing a lot of drugs, having a lot of sex, was you know, very much stuck in this world. So I wanted to just write to 
you know, to reflect back on my experience, to to sort of to meditate on that and also to sort of plant some seeds to get some of my friends to look at things a little bit differently to see that there's many, many ways to live a life. Um, and I also wanted to, you know, spread some of the great things I learned in Tom Village because I see the wonderful things they do for people who are struggling in life or from all different you know, parts of their life. Um, so I started um, doing some soft sand walking meditations on Bondi Beach, which is a popular beach there in Sydney. And um, I see that the key is to engage people on their level. So um, if I did like a walking meditation inside a meditation hall, I would have got people who already meditate. Whereas I, if I get people down on Bondi Beach, I get people who go there for the sun, go there for the girls maybe, go there for the surf, go there for the, the environment, the social, to go to the markets afterwards. And then eventually all those things become secondary like they were for me. They become, you know, you know, I went there for maybe for girls to Palm Village or for a holiday, but eventually I went there, you know, those things become secondary and I go there to want to, to learn these amazing tools to, to benefit my life. So I started running soft sand walking meditations um, sort of every month and I got a, you know, small crowd to a bigger crowd and different kinds of people coming and people the same faces and people, you know, you know from, mainly I wanted to get some friends down there and, and yeah. see if, um, you know, I could sort of get them to, you know, live a little bit differently. And um, they did and it made a big change in a lot of people's lives and it was really cool. So I just kept on doing I kept starting doing some talks and got a few little workshops and this time my book came out so I started talking at schools and um, trying to blend the sort of um, the Western world like the sort of life I was in before with sort of the tools I learned in of the Eastern world. So um, that's sort of how it evolved organically really. I never planned to, you know, to start a company or anything like that, which then it turned into. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to sort of meet a lot of different people and sort of be able to pass on. I think that's what's important, you know, if you learn things to just share it with other people and hopefully you're not giving advice or telling people what to do, but just sort of planting some seeds and, you know, get them to look at things a little bit differently and, and shift their perspective in even the slightest way. Right. So five years later now, you've, you've written some books, you've done some talks, started a company, been you know, widely successful in this new, new life. What is the, the big one thing you think people really should be trying to do? So, you know, and I've read your work, I've heard you talk about, and heard you even today, talking about boredom, talking about stopping, talking about solitude. Um, why are these, like, who wants to be bored? Why are these things good? Boredom's good. That's the thing I, I realised that, you know, we run away from it so much we never actually feel it. But, you know, being bored and being lonely, this is part of life, right? Like, you know, like, you know, it's inevitable as human beings that we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer from it sooner or later. So, you know, we can, you know, continually run away from it and struggle, 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 or we can, you know, learn to, to live with it and still function well well when things go bad. You know, I think... Um, what I've learned is, you know, it's not about being happy. I think it's about having a full, vibrant, engaged life. And when you have a full life, it's inevitable that we suffer. It's inevitable that, you know, people we love are going to die and we're going to get sick. And that's just, you know, it's 100%. It's guaranteed. So I think what's important is having the skills and tools to still function when well when things go bad. And that's the skills and tools I learned when I was in public, tools around mindfulness and meditation and, and, you know, being aware of your thoughts and feelings and before they – you know, before you create these stories, they just continue and continue and cause, you know, 
suffering over and over again. So um, and the more we can just sort of be comfortable with ourselves and really get to know ourselves and feel, you know, you know, feel all the, the whole full catastrophe of being alive, um, um, you know, the sooner the better, right? Um, really getting to connect with ourselves, connect to our strengths and um, weaknesses, um, connect to what we value and what we value in, in friends and all this sort of stuff. So um, for me, it's just um, so important, especially now in this fast-paced modern world that we learn to just, you know, you know, cultivate solitude, cultivate quietude, be able to stop and slow down and, and have moments where we're not just continually overwhelmed. Um, so I think, yeah, the most important thing for me and what I teach my nieces and nephews is to spend a lot of time by yourself. Um, I think, I don't know who said it, but, you know, there's a saying that says if you, um, you cannot be alone, you'll be more lonely. And, you know, that's one thing I saw in Plum Village, all people every single day spending time by themselves and they're never lonely. You know, in fact, it was the opposite. And I think we get into a lot of problems over here because, you know, people can't spend any time by themselves. So it feels spiritual to all aspects of their life, to bad relationships, to, you know, jump into jobs that don't, they don't necessarily like and it just filters through to all aspects of their life. Mm. Mm. It makes me think, what I'm, actually what I'm really hearing you say, the, the theme I'm hearing is that there's this initial thing that's in front of us, whether it's boredom or whatever it is. But then if you look beyond that, if that fades away, there's something deeper and truer. So I, I have this quote from, I think it's from your book. We consume so that we never have to answer hard, the hard questions. When we are bored, we eat. When we are lonely, we watch a movie, read the newspaper, jump on social media. Each time we do, we cover up the real emotions and keep throwing another layer of confusion and anxiety on top, making it almost impossible to dig ourselves out of the hole or at least see which way is up. So how does, how does someone see beyond that first thing? What is the sort of way to find that, those deeper motivations? Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, well, first you have to be, just be brave and bold and be able to, um, you know, not answer the craving, I guess, when it calls, you know, like, you know, um, I think that's always the easiest thing to do, right? When you're, you know, when you're bored or lonely, you're, it feels better, you know, it makes you feel good. So you go and you go and eat or you bring up or bring up a girl and you go and sleep with them or whatever and you always cover it up and it feels good and it's much it's much easier, right? Mm. Um, but you know, like we've become like very accustomed to chasing after things that feel good and running away that running away from anything that feels remotely bad and just becomes a habit that you just do over and over again and um, just becomes the norm. Um, so eventually somewhere we have to shift that and you know um you know, be prepared to say, oh, hang on a second, why am I doing this in the first place? You know, why am I reaching for this? And I think it becomes like, comes from some sort of awareness, right? Um, but how do you get the awareness? You need to stop and um, really take your time to, you know, not, I guess, not be a passenger, you know, sort of start sort of being more curious and sort of being more of a creator of your, your life and, you know, being more actively and consciously aware of the decisions you're making and the choices you you make and the chances you take, etc. Um, and not just always just sort of become in sort of autopilot mode where you just sort of don't really know why you're doing things. Hmm. Hmm. So follow-up question then, 
you've been on this path for five years now. What's something that you're running away from today and how are you practicing to not run away from it? Or, or how are you using this even now five years down the road in your life? Mm, um, you know, actually, I always like, I don't know, I always try to create this awareness where I'm um, very aware of why I'm doing things. And it's funny because you always fall back into the habits, right? You always, you know, still now, like you, you get a bit bored and you, you know, you jump on your phone and you, you know, look, looking at emails or social media and, you know, it's, um, it's an ongoing process. It's ongoing work. It doesn't just, you know, you know, you do it once and that's it. You're right for the rest of your life. It's, you know, I, I still sit in sitting meditation and writing meditation, a whole range of different sort of different tools and skills that I still try to work on every day. So I'm, you know, have that sort of awareness and that, you know, um, sort of conscious way of living. Um, I don't know. It's um, it's definitely a work in progress. Um, I think here being in San Francisco, I'm trying to run away from the cold. Always <laughs> <laughs> chasing after the sun. So um, and it's interesting there. You sort of you become aware of the story. You tell yourself you're like, oh shoot, you know, it's cold. Um, you know, I don't like this place. I hate this place. And then all of a sudden, trees and like, I don't like this person. I don't like this person. But you can switch it pretty quickly and say, you know, you know, that's not real. That's not true. You know, am I sure? You know, it's you know. Cold is good, you know. It's it's different. It's you know, you can so many different ways you can shift the conversation, especially the one we have with ourselves. That's I think that's the biggest problem. You know, we tell ourselves stories and then we believe them, and then the story starts from being ten seconds. All of a sudden, it's been going for four hours, and that's your life. Mm. Mm. What do you think's under that story of cold for you? Is it is it? Do you know yet, or that's still part of the practice for you today? Um, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I'm, I'm learning to enjoy it. I'm learning to enjoy all the, um, you know, as I said before, San Francisco, it's an um, interesting city. It's very different in Sydney in many ways. Like, but I've, I've come to sort of enjoy the things that can somehow be negative when I first got here, like the, the homelessness, the, the dirtiness. I see that now as more culture and grittiness rather than Sydney being sort of very new and modern. I'm sort of, you know, embracing those differences and... I think it's just that's what it that's what it is, right? It's just you can shift the story we tell ourselves and and change it to one that's positive pretty quickly. We just have to be aware of what we're telling ourselves before it goes for too long. And and that's, you know, not to say that I'm I've mastered that, it's a work in progress and sometimes I let stories bring me down and, and cause cause issues, but you have to snap the snap the song and change the channel pretty quickly before it, you know, you've played the whole album. <laughs> That makes I, love, I love that. Yeah. It's like the seed, just the seed that can kind of grow. That makes total sense. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing about that. I wanted to, you know, one thing I'm really curious about with you, Evan, is this, and, and I think people listening to this far might be able to empathize with me a little bit from knowing you for a few months. It's so hard to imagine that you were into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like today you're just seeing so caught, like you're so thinking about things so thoughtfully, um, you know, there was this, there's all these moments of I mean, interactions, even just now where you're just talking about how you're able to really embrace these things. So were you, were you like, um, it's just so hard for me to believe. Can you tell me a little bit more? Is that, is that really like the center of who you were before? Um, yeah, I think so. Like it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know if the people of yours at home will see this video, but I used to have actually long hair down to my back and that was like long curly hair and 
I don't know, I was just grew up in this culture where, um, you know, all around like sport, so I was a rugby league player and it's very tough and macho and you didn't really share and, you, you know, it was all about ego and status and being tough, being the toughest and, and drinking the most and taking the most drugs and sleeping with the most girls. And I think I just sort of, it's very easy to fall into those into those cultures and those way of life because that's what everyone around you is doing and it's much more difficult to do something different. Um you know, I um yeah, so I spent so much time in my life doing that. I remember for my eighteenth birthday, one of my friends older friends gave me the book The Game, which is about picking up girls, and he said, If you're gonna you're gonna spend a lot of time doing this, you may as well be good at it. <laughs> and, um and I thought that was like, you know, that was what it was like. What somebody had to be good at it. And I, I like to think that I was pretty pretty good at it. And um but yeah, you know, looking back now it's it's so silly that you spend so much time but you know I'm pretty sure that's happening right now. Most 18 to 30-year-olds spend their Fridays to Sunday nights doing that, and now it's probably, you know, now with the the tech tech age, it's probably now creeping into Monday mornings and Tuesday afternoons and all that too. So, um, yeah, I was heavily entrenched in that, and then, you know, I, I travelled a lot through Europe. I did 10 months through Europe, a surf trip, um, and that just sort of um, made it even more crazy, you know, yeah a young kid from Australia travelling around all these places in Europe and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, you get yourself into a lot of lot of lot of, lot of um, dangerous situations. But I think, you know, you, at the time you're like, wow, that's you know, that's living, that's life. But I think, you know, you know, I'm so lucky that I got, got an experience of that. Not everyone has a a monk brother who can sort of pull them out of that, I guess that that trap, um, you know, sometimes people come out of it themselves and, you know, certain age, some people never do. Nice. Yeah. And today, is there other, what's like, what's on your mind today? It seems like you've, you've had this, this journey of helping people understand the skills of, I guess, really embracing their whole self, the good and the bad and how this can really help you see kind of beyond that first thing to the deeper part, which I really appreciate. But is there is, is that mostly what's on your mind today, or is there new new things and new new thoughts that you're really, or actions or ideas that you're really interested in in seeing come to fruit in the world? Um, yeah, well, one thing like with the book I wrote, I saw that it's um very easy to like sort of read a book, but then keep on doing the same things you've always done. So I think like it's important that we, you know, we actually practice, right? I think that's why the thing I loved about Palm Village it wasn't like a you know, a Buddhist center or whatnot. It was just a practice center, right? So uh, I think like every day we, you know, we, 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 we practice and we learn new habits and we learn new skills and new tools. So I'm um, not no, working on a few things that sort of can, you know, with people to, so they can actively, you know, create new skills mm-hmm. and tools to transform their lives rather than just sort of, you know, doing the same thing. Um, you know, I'm still very passionate about that, about, you know, People live in their fullest, brightest, most engaged life. Um, I think there's many ways to do that. Um, so I'm working on a few little things now to sort of um, see if that's possible. See if I can sort of, you know, I guess you know I spent so much time living a life probably that wasn't very fulfilled, and I, you know, I see, still see a lot of my friends and a lot of people around me every day, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of unhappiness in the world. If we can, you know, man, like it's just what you're doing now with, you know, with the podcasts you've done previously and the workshops you do, it's all about 
you know, you know, getting people to sort of make a few little shifts here and there. It might be something so simple that they don't even realise that can change their lives. Um, and, you know, I think like living here in San Francisco, I see the same sort kind of chronic unhappiness in not just in the homeless people but in the people who step over them and jump into their Tesla. You know, it's um, it's not, you know, isolated to a certain group of people. It's a lot of people suffer from the same things. Mm. So it sounds like there's um, a lot of the same questions from Palm Village as well as just this new question around behavior change and how do you go from having an idea to seeing it really allow people to change and, and embrace these fuller versions of themselves. What... Um, I guess what I'm interested in is just what's the, one of the things I really love about every time I talk to you and your books is that you have the, all these really deep questions, these things about, you know, what if you did this in a deeper way, essentially? Um, what's the most pressing question on your mind today? What's this one that you like really are, want people to be thinking about? Um. I think the big, I don't know, the biggest question for me is just the same thing I, I sort of think every day, why, you know, why, why am I doing the things I'm doing, you know, I think, I think if we ask ourselves that every day, um, I think our lives will be fuller, I think, I was thinking also, I don't know, I'm also every, like I'm sort of questioning more about death, you know, like I sort of think about that every day and I sort of meditate on, on that every day to sort of live my life and so much fuller, you know, because it's so easy to get caught up in these little petty insignificant things that take up our time and our stress and our worries. And but like in any given moment, we can get a phone call from someone we love who, you know, on their way to hospital. And, you know, I think that's super important too, that we don't get, you know, you know, really held down by all these little things that can so easily weigh up, you know, you know ruin our lives, you know, ruin, especially now. So I don't know, I'm sort of battling with, um, you know why um you know sometimes it's tough you know like sometimes i do get a little jaded in a way it's difficult to sort of shift people's habits you know it's so much easier for people to do things that are easier you know like why would i meditate that's difficult i'll just go eat some ice cream and i feel good for 30 minutes you know that's that's, that's the thing it's um sometimes i think like why do i want to help other people i can you know i'd probably be much better if i just got myself made some money and just went and surfed on an island in Samoa for the next 10 years. So um, I don't know, no, toss up with those questions, but you sort of think like, you know, um, it, it feels good to help people. And, you know, um, and, and while it's difficult, it's also easy too. Mm. It's definitely something I think about a lot too, is what, so many people, if they could have a deeper version, a deeper connection to their pain or to their suffering and not run away, so much could change, but they don't want that. Mm. So, um, you know, how do you do work in this space when your customer, quote unquote, doesn't want what you're, what you're offering, so to speak? Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, that's a tricky one. I think, um, Unfortunately, in this world, you have to sort of connect it to, you have to bring it back to something they want, you know. I think you have to engage. That's the whole reason why, you know, the soft sand walking meditation on Bondi Beach, you have to find ways that people want it. And then, um, 
that might change, right? They might come for the girls like I did to Pondridge and then it becomes something different. I don't know. It's um, I think it has to be very clever. You have to be very curious and very creative in, you know, how you approach these things. I think, you know, the whole topic around happiness and mental health and, you know, finding new and different ways is, is very important. It's, it's imperative. Mm. So would you ever do a uh, walking meditation at a nightclub or somewhere where it's like even even deeper in the throes of it? Um, it, might, it might be less effective if everyone's on um, ecstasy, but, um, <laughs> but uh, man, who knows? I think that's the thing. Like you do it there, maybe if you reach one person, it's like, that was pretty cool. And then they do it the next day. I think that's how things sort of change. It just it's a lot of work, but um Maybe that's that's the thing. Maybe you do have to do it in a nightclub. It's about thinking totally differently. So yeah, let's do it. We're doing we're doing it in a nightclub. <laughs> All right, that's the that's the action item from this conversation, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I love that you're asking this question. Why? That's definitely one of the the deepest. What about you? What about? I'm interested to see what um what song that's playing in your mind. What's something that you sort of think about in terms of your life or the world. Yeah, I mean, I think about this kind of actually to what we were just talking about, the connection between what we want and what I think is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do find that there's there's something really authentic. Like, I love asking questions. I love hearing people's stories. I don't really know why I want that. That's just a thing I'm enjoying. And there's something about that that is really important. And so when we talk about these other people who you know, I'd like them to experience a fuller version of themselves and it doesn't seem like they want that. What mm-hmm. are those things they want? And how do you tell when it's that surface versus the deeper one? Cause this, what I'm describing to you, I feel like is a deeper one, but what I, why, why is it that way <laughs> to your earlier question? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what's, what's resurfacing for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a tough one, you know, like it's easy to see people. I mean, we all have people in our lives who we know that, you know, couldn't, do something a little different and life would be so much better. They've got these little things that hold it back and, you know, cause all this mental anarchy and conflict every you know, second of every day. But I don't know. I don't know if it works telling people what to do. You just have to, and then you, yeah, I don't know. It's, you have to just live your life, do the things you love and, and, and then hopefully people see that as well. And then, and, and at the right time, you prompt them to, I, I don't know. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I guess one thing I'm I'm remembering is this conversation I had with a friend recently who works in healthcare, and she was telling me that, and I don't know how true all this is, I've looked at some research, but I can't say that these are all 100% good factoids, but she was telling me that when patients come in to see a doctor, 10 to 20% of the time, the doctor can help them. And the other 80 to 90% of the time, it's something the doctor can't do. It's in their environment. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a behavior change that's beyond sort of a pill a doctor can offer there's a whole bunch of other reasons. It's pretty complicated, but this notion, it kind of makes the kind of thing I think about a lot is the environments we set up for ourselves and how big impact those have. Mm. Um, that's physical environment and social environments. So I think it goes really deep into the relationships as well. And then also the policies we create because those, those government policies have such a huge impact on what the options are. Even, you know, the fact that we're able to live in, in this country and pursue opportunity is, is based on tons of taxes, tons of other research, tons mm-hmm. of roads and infrastructure and all that stuff is just the prereqs to make it possible to do some of these things. So that's the other thing, I guess it's like this conversation is sort of making me think about is, 
it's not just um, kind of what you want and and how to reach someone and what they want, but also what the how much is outside of the mm-hmm. immediate moment and is set up by the moments before. Mm, that yeah, it's um just then when you're speaking, I was thinking forward so much about community. You know, um, I mean that plays such a huge role. And I think that's why um we see so much suffering and unhappiness these days is because the lack of community. I think like, you know, the amount of wealth and technology increases and all that sort of stuff is offset by, you know, a dying community and greater individualism. And, you know, I think that's definitely to blame for um you know, what we see now in terms of people sort of not really living too happily. Um yeah, it's um in Plum Village, it was like a perfect example of a flourishing community of people from all walks of life coming together to support each other. And I think um, it's, it's, it's difficult these days, you know. I was a part of um, a 16-day Daily Acts of Random Kindness challenge with, with some friends, and there was probably 30 or people in different places in the world. And little things like saying hello to people, you know, it's become so strange now the world we live in, we say hello to someone at the train station, it's actually odd. You know, whereas 20 years ago, it would be strange if you didn't. <laughs> and, you know, like doing good deeds to someone, like passing, you know, writing a letter to someone, some, some nice compliment, giving someone a flower. These things are actually people are taken aback. And it's mm-hmm. quite strange. And it's because we've sort of gone so far along this path now where, um, you know, kindness and talking and communicating with strangers is actually odd. And I don't know. I think it's just, that's a huge reason why we see so many issues in the world is, you know, yeah, we see so much greater abundance of choice and and wealth and all these things, but all the things that I think we inherently need as homo sapiens is sort of sort of leaving us. Mm. Yeah, that reminds me, I used to work at this company called IDEO. And one of the things that the, one of the partners there told me it stuck with me the rest of my career and life really, which is um so much of the time we feel like we don't have the power to change things. We don't have a power or agency in our lives, but that's not really true. And he said, instead of like worrying about, um, you know, how things could maybe change, think about what you can add. He had this nice phrase, the cultural contribution. What's instead of trying to think about, does this culture and this company fit me or not? What's your cultural contribution you can make. And I think about that a lot is sort of every little thing we do can really add up to a big, big difference. If we all, to do those things instead of just thinking this isn't the way it was in the past and this and mm. not doing the thing you actually your deeper part of you want. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 so true. Yeah. Yeah. We can um actively create the environments we need, but we just need to um you know, ask the questions in the first place. I think a lot of people just sort of go down the default pathway because that's what everyone's done for them and they just do what, what they've been told and they don't sort of you know, actively want to shift their environments. But, you know, we have, we have a choice every single day, right, um, yeah. on a world we want to live in, the people we want to surround ourselves with. And, um, yeah, it takes a little bit of work, but we can, we can do it, definitely. That's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about or that could be a really good note to end on? I think that's a great way to end on the fact that, you know, <laughs> we can, yeah, we can actively make choices every day that, to change our lives and the lives of the people around us. 
Yeah, and especially if you get in touch with those deeper parts, that's what I love about what your your experience has taught. Is this, mm-hmm. It's not the first thing you think, it's the second thing once you are bored. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for, for taking part of this conversation with me today. And um, yeah, good luck on, on asking why. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for, you know, starting these conversations. It's a really cool thing. And that you're doing exactly what we just ended on, you know, making a shift in the world and people's lives. So that's awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation with Evan Sutter. I look forward to having you tune in to the next episode.